Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 16 and 17. The title of, and, and we're in a series, and, and the series is called Believe This, and um, it's a, quite honestly, it's a doctrinal series. And uh, our goal is to share with you 10 doctrinal truths um, that I really believe as the pastor that this church needs to absolutely understand. I, uh, in, in the uh, course of developing the sermons for, the, uh, for this year and the remainder of my time here, I'm trying to make sure that you have messages that are vital to your lives and vital to the life of this church. And certainly we need to know what we believe. And today we're going to see what Baptists, what we, hopefully what you believe about the Bible. From 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 16 and 17. Many years ago, Billy Graham was asked this question. If you had to live your life over again, what would you do differently? And his answer, one of my great regrets is that I've not studied enough. I wish I had studied more and preached less. People have pressured me into speaking to groups when I should have been studying and preparing. Donald Barnhouse said that if he knew the Lord was coming in three years, he would spend two of them studying and one preaching. I'm trying to make it up. Today I want to ask you what kind of relationship you have with the Bible. Do you know what you believe about the Bible? And do you know why you believe what you believe about the Bible? The Bible is called many things. It is the Bible. It is scriptures. It is the book. It is the good book. And it's called many more things. In writing to Timothy from prison, Paul requested that he bring the parchments or the scripture. I usually call it the Word of God, because that's what it is. It's the Word of God. Sometimes I just say the Word. And while I would not call this church highly denominational, we are Baptist, and we do believe Baptist doctrine. What do Baptists believe? In fact, what do most Christians believe about the Bible, and why do they believe it? Baptists believe that the Bible is the Word of God. If you believe the Bible is the Word of God, would you say amen, please? Amen. All right, then I'm among friends today. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God might be complete, equipped for every good work. Today our outline is going to be made up of simply four descriptive words. We're going to look at four words that are descriptive of the Word of God. And the first word is the word inspired. The Word of God, the Bible, the Scripture is inspired. The KJV uses the word inspired to describe how the Bible came to us. When preaching from the KJV, I always explain that the sense of the word inspired in its original language means God breathed. That is exactly what our text said in the ESV. All Scripture is breathed out by God. When you look at the Word of God, you are experiencing the very breath of God. It is breathed out by God. 
Now, most of us knows, <clears throat> know excuse me, what it means to be inspired by something. Uh, sometimes in a pensive moment, we'll be inspired to put our feelings down on a, on a piece of paper. Sometimes we write our feelings down on paper because it's an inspired moment. We can be inspired or moved to laughter. I was moved to laughter. I was moved to, <clears throat> to tears. That's a kind of, of inspiration. Is that what it means when the Bible says that it's the inspired word? Is that what we mean when we say the Bible is the inspired word of God? Could any of us simply decide one day that God has given us something inspirational? And could we, with that inspiration, write it down and then expand the word to include what we added? In other words, I'm inspired. I wrote something inspirational. It ought to be added to the word. Is that the way that the Bible is inspired? What does it mean that the scripture is inspired? Well, when we use the term inspired, it's better to say divinely inspired. In fact, that's probably the best way to say that. The Word of God is divinely inspired because the inspiration of the Bible is different from the inspiration of poetry. The inspiration of the Bible is different from the inspiration of paintings or the inspiration of prose or the inspiration of an actor or the inspiration of anything else. It is a divine inspiration. As our text says, it is literally breathed out by God. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Now, I'm going to be even a little more specific than that. I'm going to use some, <clears throat> some big seminary words, and you ought to write these seminary words down. I don't have them on the screen, so you'll have to write them down. The Bible is the divinely inspired, inerrant, that means without error, plenary, that means all-inclusive or complete Word of God. The Bible is the divinely inspired, inerrant, plenary Word of God. The Bible is God's Word from cover to cover. As the old country preacher said, from generations to revolutions, it is the Word of God. It is all God's Word or not God's Word at all. You have to take that. That means that this book is his book, and that's it. But how did it get to us? How did it get to you and me? I love the Word because, first of all, the Word doesn't tell us everything that could be known, but it tells us what we need to know until we're in the presence of God and, and we shall have a completed knowledge. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 19 says, And we have the prophetic Word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now the key there are the words, carried along. They, they wrote the word as they were carried along. Every word in the Bible was personally delivered to us through messengers that God used to record His word. Now you say, Pastor Ray, doesn't it have different styles? Isn't Psalms styled differently from 
uh, 1 Corinthians? And isn't uh, the book of John styled differently than the book of Hebrews? Well, absolutely it is. Just like you'll hear a sermon preached of God's Word, but it comes in a different uh, package from a different preacher. Yet if the preacher is preaching true to God's Word, he's still preaching God's Word. Because God's Word is inspired does not take away personality, but because of personality, God's Word is protected from error. Every word in the Bible is personally delivered through messengers that God used to record it. We say the writings of Paul or David's Psalms, and that is fine, but we must understand that without the unction or the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God, the very breath of God falling across their souls, they would never have written and they certainly would not have communicated to us the Word of God. In fact, when the Apostle Paul was writing and he wanted to express his own opinion, he asked God for permission. And sometimes he was given permission, but he made sure that his reader understood that what he was saying now was coming from him and not necessarily, uh, it was coming from him by permission, uh, maybe or maybe not by inspiration. He had a habit of writing like this to the Corinthian church when he told them, here's the way that I say it. I say, now this is thus saith the Randy, not thus saith the Lord. You've heard me say that before. Paul started that. Here's the way he, he started it in 1 Corinthians 7, 12. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord. You see that? I say this, not the Lord. And then he gives some advice. And verse 7, 25, now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Now, I believe Paul, and I believe what he said, but I, I believe him even more because he was very candid about it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 8, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Do you see the, the difference between the writings of inspiration and the divinely inspired Word of God? Now, this is not in any way to cast any aspersion because I believe that Paul was very clear whenever he was expressing himself in an opinion. Very, very clear. I, I, I certainly don't have the right to go through and say, well, that's opinion. That's not, you know, uh, read along in John and say, well, you see, this happened right here and, and says that, uh, that this miracle took place, but I just think that's opinion. No, no, no. Paul was very, very clear in that. So there's a difference. There's a difference between simply being inspired and the divinely inspired Word of God. The Bible isn't Chaucer. The Bible isn't Longfellow. The Bible isn't isn't Frost. The Bible isn't Dickens. It is the divinely inspired, God-breathed book. It is the only one of its kind. It's the only one that has ever been. It's the only one that will ever be. B. You say, well, what about the Koran? That is the Koran. The Bible is the Word of God. You understand what I'm saying here? I'm being very, very clear with you this morning. I, I would not trust my life, my eternity, my fortunes to any other book other than the Word of God. It is the inspired Word of God. Here's the second thing. It's true. Absolutely, 100 percent true. Now, here's how I know. I know because of what it says it is. All Scripture is breathed out by God. So, it's true. 
Everyone has to come to a place of either believing or not believing that the Bible is true. Everybody has to come to that place. Now again, some people partially come to that place, but they don't have the right to come to that place. When, when the book says that all Scripture is breathed out by God, you don't have a right to say, well, I'm going to believe part of it and part of it I'm not. It's either God's, all God's Word or not God's Word at all. Some people want to believe what they, they like about the book. People today refer to their truth. Well, my truth is. The truth is the Word of God. If it is not, it is nothing more than poetry and inspirational writing. That's all that it is. It's nothing more than just, just a nice book to read and have reflection upon. It is the ultimate of truth. It is the only real measure of truth. That's the Word of God. Now you say, how true is it? How much can I know that the Word of God is true? Well, first of all, you can know that it's eternally true. Psalm 119 and 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Psalm 119, 160. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. There never has been a time, and there never will be a time, when the word of God is absolutely, is, is not absolutely literally, eternally true. You can't say, well, the Word isn't as true today as it used to be. You can't say, well, the Word isn't as accurate today as it once was. The Word of God is true. The past prophecy of the Bible has become our history, and the future prophecy of the Bible will become our reality. And why is that? Because the Word of God is true. The Word of God is eternally true. Now, how many people in this world believe that the Word of God is true? How many people in this world or in our country believe the Word of God is true? This is interesting. Twenty, uh, excuse me, 10 years ago, Americans who saw that the Bible or believed that the Bible was actually the Word of God and should be taken word for word was 28%. 10 years ago, it was 28%. 30 years ago, it was 38%. So it was down by 10% in 20 years. And I'm sure that it's further down today. And I'll tell you why. Because we have been saturated and we live in a society that is so... uh, so intellectually unruly that this, this, our society feels like that it can come up with its own truth. And coming up with its own truth, it says, so, you know, I, I think then that parts of the Bible are true, but not really all of the Bible. Look, I, I want to say something to you and, you, and you have to get this, and, and you either get it or you don't. Everything we believe about life, eternity, the Word of God, Jesus dying on the cross, being born of a virgin, and on and on and on it goes. Everything that we believe is by faith. 
I wasn't on, I wasn't at the scene of the cross. I wasn't at the empty tomb. I wasn't at the raising of Lazarus. I wasn't at the birth of Jesus. Well, how do you know all that stuff then, preacher? That's it. That is it. That is totally, 100% it. That's how I know that he loves me. And I learned it all the way back when I was a child. I learned it in a song. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the tells me so. That's where I learned all of that. I didn't elect a president that would tell me that. I didn't go to a, I didn't go to a college that, that uh, said, okay, now I'm going to teach you <clears throat> that the Bible is true. Now, I ended up going to seminary where they believed that the Bible was true. But I want to tell you, I would have never gone to that seminary had I not believed the Bible was true. The Bible is true. And it is true by faith. It is eternally true. But I'll go beyond that. Because of my faith, it is proven true. Proverbs 30 and verse 5. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. So like a goldsmith purges the impurities from his precious metal... Not only is the Bible that pure, but this verse says that every word of the Bible is this pure. To what extent should the believer consider the Bible absolutely true? I mean, how, how much should you believe that the Bible is true? Well, Romans 3, 4 says, let God be true, though everyone were a liar. 1 John 5, 9 says, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. If you find out that everyone you know has lied to you about anything or everything that they've ever told you, guess what? God's word is still true. Just because you know a liar somewhere or know someone who has lied doesn't mean that God's word isn't true. Well, I knew a preacher one time and he, well, that doesn't matter. The preacher's not God. God's word is true. God is true. Think about the one person that you know to be true more than anyone else you know. That one person you think, I, let me tell you, I would go to the edge of a cliff for this person. I would, I would let them, I would take their, their word to the bank. Whoever you consider to be the most credible witness in your life. You're thinking of somebody? You're thinking of somebody that you remember or you know the most credible person you've ever known. Guess what? The witness of God is greater. That person's honesty is is as though that person were a liar compared to the honesty of God. His word is true. His word is more true than your mama's word. His word is more true than your granddaddy's word. His word is more true than your preacher's word. His word is more true than than anybody else's word. In fact, God's word is so true that it is exclusively true. There is a, a hedge of protection built around the truth of God's word. 
Proverbs 30 and verse 6. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Mm. This can be an issue in the greater world of Christianity today. There are those who believe that they are receiving the word of God today. They call it a word of knowledge. And they add it and they make it equal to the word of God. We covered that a little earlier. No one, no one has authority to add any further word to the completed word of God. No one does. Remember 2 Peter 1.21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spake from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. No one just woke up one morning and said, well, I've got a word of knowledge. This is going to be it. I'm giving you a word of knowledge now. This is going to be it. No one did. But this came as men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit of God. In fact, in the closing book of the Bible, the last chapter, the last word, God gives strong warning to people who feel like they want to add to the word. Revelation twenty-two eighteen. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. How clear is that? I can assure you that this preacher will not be getting a word of knowledge. And I doubt that you're going to call a new pastor who's going to be getting a word of knowledge, extra revelations or prophecy that have not already been given and confirmed by God's word. God's word is inspired. It is true. And according to our text, it is profitable. Second Timothy three sixteen, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Now, how profitable is it? How profitable is the Word of God? Well, it doesn't do me much good. Well, there's some things you have to do to make it profitable to your life, and we'll share those in a minute. But let me show you how profitable the Bible says that it is. Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Here are just a, a few things to understand about how God's Word is profitable. First of all, it's profitable for correction. That's what our text says. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. Has the Word of God ever corrected you? Have you ever been reading the Bible and went, oh, that's not good. <laughs> that's talking to me. This is tough right here. Not a good thing. Or have you ever been in a church service and the preacher's preaching and he's laying out the sermon and you go, oh, man, somebody told him about me. Somebody told him what I was thinking. Somebody told him what I had been doing. Somebody, he has got my number. And you want to call him. And you want to say, 
All right, who's been talking about me? Who's been telling you stuff? Well, the answer to that question, and by the way, I've been in those sermons too. I've been in those sermons. I was in a sermon, I, I, was, I was in an auditorium one time to see 4,000 people. 4,000 people, and it was jammed full, and the preacher was preaching. And I, I sat there the whole time, and I, I thought, man, do not look around because everybody is looking at you. Don't look around because everybody knows that what he's preaching right now, he's preaching about you. So I just sat there. I didn't want to look around. I was afraid to look around. He's talking about me. And I, I wanted to go up to him afterward and say, I'm really sorry you had to preach that whole sermon to me. But that's just the correcting factor of the Word of God. The Holy Spirit uses it to correct us. That's correction. But it's not just correction, it's navigation. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You ever need navigation at uh, night in your house or when you're walking around, everything's dark? I've actually picked up my phone before and pushed the button and just to get a little light, you know, uh, on the path just to you know, keep from stubbing my toe and then the Word of God correcting me. Um, It's a lamp. Here's what George Washington said. It is impossible to righteously govern the world without God and the Bible. Here's what Ronald Reagan said. Within the covers of one single book, the Bible, are all the answers to all the problems that face us today. If only we would read and believe. You can navigate life by the Word of God, by a walk daily in the Word of God. It'll light your path. However, to navigate our daily walk, we must slow down and follow the turns in the road. And therein lies the problem, slowing down long enough to let the Word of God speak to us. And it's more of a challenge today than ever before. What kind of an attention span do you have? We're all, I think all of us now, I think all of us, have attention deficit uh, some, to some level. I think we all do. And I think we've been trained in it. Microsoft studied 2,000 customers. And here's what they discovered. Some interesting things. Not so surprising is that the average human attention span has gone down. In 2000, it was 12 seconds. The average attention span was 12 seconds. In, in the year 2000, 12 seconds. You think it's not a challenge to preach to you? 12 <laughs> seconds. But that was in the year 2000. Listen to this. Today, it is down to eight seconds. The, the, if you can ride a bull for eight seconds, it's considered a successful ride. Now, our concentration level is eight seconds seconds only. Now they compared this to other creatures and they have believe, scientists believe that the attention span of a goldfish is nine seconds. Seriously. 
I mean, I might get more results at the pet store if, uh, think about that. This is a profitable book, though, if we can concentrate on it. It's profitable for correction. It's profitable for navigation. It's profitable for education. Psalm 119, 130, the unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. We learn doctrine from the Bible, but we learn so much more. From the book of Proverbs, we learn the practical everyday wisdom required to get ahead on the job and in life. If you want to do better on your job, if you want to get promotions or at least get yourself in a position for it, work by Proverbs rules. Look and live Proverbs. The Bible is, is, a, is a book that will help us on the job. It certainly is an instruction book for parenting. It's an instruction book for dating. You know, you know where most people get their instruction for dating now? Facebook instead of God's book. It's an instruction book for dating. I mean, it's, it's got everything going. It's for marriage. It's for citizenship. All of life. It, it is a good book. It is profitable for correction, for navigation, for education, and for sanctification. John 17, 17, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Not everybody wants to live a life that's dedicated to Jesus. Not everybody does. In fact, precious few do. It's getting less all the time. There's less and less all the time. But if you're one who does, go to the Bible. The Bible's profitable in correction, navigation, education, sanctification. And then let me give you one more of these profitable words, expectation. Romans 15, 4, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scripture, we might have hope. If you rated your expectation of hope on a scale of 1 to 10, seriously, where's your hope today? (laughs) Well, I hope this one doesn't get elected. Well, I hope that one doesn't get elected. I kind of hope neither one of them gets elected. I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I'm, where's your hope? We, we, we live in hope of elections. We live in hope of economy. We live in, we live in hope of so many hopeless matters. But the truth is that the Word of God is where our hope can be found. What is your hope in the church? What is your hope for your own future? What is your hope for the country? What is your hope for eternity? The encouragement of scriptures gives us hope. It is a book of hope. God's Word, the Bible, is the book of hope. It is inspired. It is true. It is profitable. And finally, it is a book for equipping. That almost seems awkward, but it is true. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God might be complete, equipped for every good work.
we, um, we've lived in our house now uh, probably 20, 23 and a half, almost going on 24 years we've lived in our house. Many years ago, we had some hardwood floors put in that weren't already in, and we, we had some, and then we added to it. And the, the very center rooms of our house, the uh, what's called the living room, which is the never-use-it room, and, and then the, the dining room, and, and then the, the family room, they all have hardwood floors. And so a few months ago, it was time to refinish the hardwood floors. And so um, we had to move all of the furniture out from the center of the house so that those hardwood floors could be refurbished. Now, you have to understand that, that this is where we've, you know, we live in the center of the house. And so when we moved everything out, we looked and we saw that that which is the hub of where we live was empty. There's nobody there. Nothing there. In fact, after they began, we couldn't even go in there. And it was so strange that in this house that had raised three sons and in this house that where we had lived for so long and in this house where we had Uh, Our grandchildren had come, and and in this house, it was so strange that in the center of this this very active house, there was nothing. Oddly enough, in the very center of our lives is our spiritual man. And most people have an unfurnished space there. There's nothing there. Nothing has ever moved in. Nothing has ever become a part of that space. Nothing has ever become the hub of life. It's a spiritual man that's waiting to come alive if only life would move in there, and that life is Jesus Christ. And most people in this world have never moved anything in it. They've never received Jesus Christ. Similarly, There are those who have received Jesus but never have put one more stick of furniture in that part of their lives. All that's in there is Jesus. You say, well, isn't Jesus enough? Oh, yes, but Jesus has equipped us with so much more. And he's equipped us through the Word of God. We need to fill our lives with the Word of God. We need to fill our lives with the the good furnishings of the spiritual life, with the good furnishings that come along with Jesus. You say, well, how do I do that? You do that by by the Word. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, how do you do that? Very quickly, here it is. First of all, read it. A closed Bible doesn't do anything for you, doesn't do anything for me. You got to read it. Secondly, believe it. Believe that it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. You got to read it. You got to believe it. You got to learn it. Certainly involve yourself in Bible study. Involve, 
we preach, I try to preach in a way that you learn on Sunday morning, but on Wednesday night, I preach purely expository messages that you'll learn the Word of God. And in and, and Sunday school and in various Bible studies, learn the Word of God. The Holy Spirit can teach you the Word of God. John 16, 13 says, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak of His own uh, authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare you the things that are to come. Finally, live it. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. You ever made this statement, well, I know what's right, but I know what's right. I know the right thing. I know what I ought to do, but when it comes to the Word of God, you got to live it. I mean, if you, if you, if you want it, you got to live it. People who know and live the Word of God not only find it true, but they find it coming alive in their lives. Here's what C.S. Lewis wrote. You never know how much you really believe anything until its truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life and death. It is easy to say you believe a rope to be strong as long as you're merely using it to cord a box. But suppose you had to hang by that rope over a precipice. Wouldn't you then first discover how much you really trusted it? Believe the Bible. You will hear today in some circles that the Bible contains the Word of God. If the Bible is the container for the Word of God, then is there, sloshing, is there something sloshing around in it that's not the Word of God? You'll hear that you can find the Word of God in the Bible. You'll hear that some of the Bible is the Word of God. But I'll tell you this, and you should believe this, all the Bible is God's Word.